In this unique podcast, I speak to people who have actually experienced one or more past lives. Some have also visited their life between lives, which is also known as the afterlife. Come with me now to learn what can happen in a past life regression, what a past life experience is like, how it unfolds, and how it impacts on our current lives. Hi, welcome to Exploring Past Lives with Karen Joy. Most of you don't know me. My name is Ian Demack, and I've been married to Karen for the last 28 years. What a privilege it's been. In October last year, Karen posted a podcast about her recent health challenges. Some of you have asked how Karen is going. She's asked me to host this podcast. I'll ask her about her illness, how it has shaped her spiritual views, and how it's helped her become even more effective in her work, guiding people through past life and life between lives regressions. Before we begin, I should let you know that this podcast includes descriptions of domestic violence, which you may find disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. Now I'd like to welcome Karen. How are you, Karen? I'm good, thanks, Ian. So first of all, People who have been listening to your regular podcasts over the last two and a half years are wondering, how are you feeling right now? Well, I'm feeling very good, thank you. Uh, I'm back working, doing uh, regressions, past life, life between lives and transpersonal journeys with people. And they've been going very well and I've been going very well too. So I am going to the gym and I am walking and, yes, just feeling quite well compared to how I was before. That's excellent. But in August last year, you started to experience some severe pain and it took the doctors a week or so to diagnose what was happening. Can you tell us how you felt during those early days when the, when the illness first manifested itself? Well, I was in a lot of pain for about a week and... Then we went to a different hospital and that team there did the diagnosis. They did a number of scans and they found out that I had a ragged, I think the doctor used those terms, ragged aorta that was damaged. It had been damaged or a damage was found some four or so years ago and that had been repaired with open heart surgery. And then this one was another it was actually a leak in the aorta, which had turned into a hematoma, which a hematoma is like a blood clot, which was lucky because that was stopping it from bleeding, me bleeding out. And yes, yeah, so I think you asked how I felt. Is that right? Mm, that's right. Yeah, well, when that diagnosis was pretty serious because they took me the next day, two of the doctors, the surgeon and, the doc and one of the other doctors, and interviewed me to see if I was suitable for the operation. So what the doctor had said that it would continue to keep breaking or leaking or bursting or being a problem. And they what they had to do was to put stents in, like full stents all the way mm. through my aorta, which is fairly large operation. And it's not done very often. I don't think they'd done any this year, even though that was a very good vascular team. 
So I wasn't feeling very comfortable at all with that. I was in a bit of shock because um, I had been to America for a couple of months and felt very well when I was in America, visiting friends and colleagues um, and one of my relatives, my sister. And so it was a shock. It was two months after, or I think a month and a half after I'd come back from America and the regressions I were doing were going just beautifully at the time. And yeah, I was just in shock. So so it's a shocking diagnosis and obviously there's major surgery required. Did you feel that you had to come to terms with your own mortality? Uh, I think I did. I did. Uh, it Probably that took a while to sink in that that I was facing the possibility that it was my time. And, yeah, it makes me feel a little bit sad just talking about that mm. because even though I don't fear death and I know that everything's fine on the other side, I didn't particularly feel ready to go. I felt I could still help a lot of people. I still was writing a book and I thought that I would finish that book. So I was a little bit confused and I didn't know, is it my time or not? because you don't really know. So I had been feeling tired before that too at times. And so feeling tired and worn down, I was had been thinking maybe, is it my time? You know, because I was getting closer, I'm older. It's Yes, so yeah, I did. I had to face my mortality and I wasn't sure whether I was going to stay or go. And you don't know. You just don't know what's in store for you. So, Karen, what helped you during that time? What helped you get through that? Um, well, I, yeah, that's a great question because I received during those months, there were several months, I received a great deal of attention from people. I, I found like on Facebook people who maybe hadn't, Seed for quite a long time was sending loving wishes. There was a lot of people doing that. There was some of my clients, some of the podcast people, some of the people who listened to this podcast had sent me positive wishes and love. I had visitors from people, some of them friends who I hadn't even known for a long time. Like we live in Mullaney and we hadn't been here for that many years, I think about seven years at the time. And so there was an outpouring of love and attention, cards and flowers and visitors. And that was um, very uplifting, very uplifting to feel that love coming from everywhere. I think that was part of the purpose of why I went through it, like from a spiritual um, perspective. Yes. So it wasn't easy to uh, face that, but that was what, that really lifted me. And of course, the team, the doctor's team, the vascular team, uh, they appeared to be very competent and is a good team. It's one of the best teams in Australia. So that was another reassuring thing. So all of that love and attention buoyed you up and you felt secure that you had a great team of doctors looking after you. When we look back on our lives, when we're facing our mortality, sometimes we have some regrets. Did, did you find that you had any regrets as you look back over your life? You're right. I did look back, of course, and I had been doing that. Like I have been doing that regularly anyway. And I have found that my guidance has been very strong 
um, through my life which, without me realising it. For example, even before I, even before I became spiritual when I was 50, in my 40s when you and I were um, together because we've been together for a long time, I remember my father was dying and I had this feeling to, that we should take him to lunch every fortnight which we did for a year, even though it was um, a long trip down to where he was every Sunday, every second Sunday for a year. And we then we travelled quite a bit to the mountains to go to a nice restaurants with him and my mother. So we did that. And my sister didn't, she couldn't understand why we did that. And the reason why she couldn't understand that we did that was because when we were children, my father um, was one of the two pedophiles or sexual abusers that sexually abused me for quite a long time. And so I don't know why I did it either. Even when we were doing it, I didn't particularly enjoy it, but I didn't, didn't not enjoy it either. So that was one example of where I had been guided to do that. So there was no regret about doing that. And all the other things I'd done in my life to make amends, which then there were letters I wrote to people who I felt I hadn't treated very well. So every everything had been taken care of. And I think that was one of the reasons why I thought maybe it's my time, because I had taken care of everything through those years. So there were there weren't any regrets at all. There weren't. So that was um another thing that helped, I guess. Well, it's great not to have any regrets. As you know, looking back over your life, there's been times when you've had to face death, where you've perhaps come close to death. Talk a bit about that for your viewers so they get a, a bit of an understanding of your history. Yes, well, I think there's about five or six times when I've faced death. Well, um, I'll do it in chronological order. Uh, the first time I remember was when my uh, ex-husband, who was quite a, a lost, violent man, would uh, when if he was losing an argument and with me that was easy <laughs> for him to lose an argument because I would was fairly, could be a bit strident. But um, he, he wasn't that aware, I guess, and so he would get frustrated and take me into the laundry and load up one of his guns and hold it at my head and threaten to kill me. So that happened a number of times. So I was very close to death then. I just went into a very still calm place and waited, I guess. So that was one. Then there were others when I was uh, married to a person who had a light air aircraft and there was two incidents where I was pretty sure we were going to die. One where we were taking off on a hot day and there were cattle at the end of the runway. It was just a grass runway. runway and um, like I thought that we were going to hit them and we were very close. Like I reckon I could just about put my hand out and touch them. So that was one. Another one, we were caught in a storm. The artificial horizon wasn't working. It was all clouded. There was a the, the airstrip that we had to land on because of the artificial horizon problem was in the middle of a, like was in a little valley surrounded by mountains, another small script, strip. We didn't have lights. Um, the sun was setting. Luckily, the water, it was raining because it was a storm and we could see the water and ended up landing safely, but 
there were actually cars came to the airstrip from people who heard the plane and was really panicked and worrying about this plane flying around the, this little town. Anyway, that was another one. Then there was one in New Zealand where I um, nearly died. We ne I nearly died because we were in a, a vehicle that was sliding towards the edge of a cliff. And the people, it was a Nissan and it had several doors on one side of the vehicle. The people who were about to go over, they jumped out and they realised that they were going to go over the cliff with the, the vehicle and so they pushed it back just pushed it. That's how it was sliding on the ice. Now, I don't even know if that's possible for three or four people. I would have been three people to push a, a vehicle like that, that's that heavy with people in it. But it happened. So maybe it was a miracle. I don't know. But we all survived. So I don't know. There might have been others, but that's the ones I'm remembering. So, yes. So how, how did this compare, though? Well, to the situation I'm in now, in was in this last few months. It's interesting because the four years ago when I had the open heart surgery, that had to be performed pretty quickly, and I faced death there as well. Of course, as we do when we're going into an operation, everybody who goes into an operation is facing death. Two different risks, levels of risk. But that happened pretty quickly, and so I was able to stay very calm. But this particular situation recently, it went on for months and I had three operations. And so, you know, the risk is there every operation. And then even after the operation, I had people coming in and asking about my feet because the, one of the risks was to be a paraplegic because uh, they have to cut some of the vessels off. Did I mention that already? No, you haven't mentioned no. that. They had to cut some of the vessels off the spinal cord. Um, the feeding the spinal cord, and that is a genuine risk. And so I didn't even know how it would turn out when I was in recovery. But as it turned out, they let me come home and I was able to manage my medications and everything. And we got back on track and my my heart rate is normal. My blood pressure is normal. And I only take one aspirin a day. That's the only medication I take. So it's all turned out very well. But difference, I think, between those earlier facing death and facing death in this situation was the time, the length of time that was where I was not sure about what was going to happen. And uh, even though, you know, it's interesting because I know a lot of psychic people um, doing the work that I do, and all of them said I was going to be fine, but I still, I still didn't know for sure. I guess that's what we're like as humans. So you had a long time when you didn't know exactly how things were going to turn out for you. That's right. That's exactly do you find right. It, do you find it easy to accept that kind of ambiguity when it's not, right there in your face? Well, not usually. So that was that was one of the things that I just had to come to terms with because I'm out of control in that situation. And I'm sure some of the listeners have been out of control in situations too where they don't know where they're going to survive or not. And in that situation, you've got really nowhere to go except to either panic, you know, really get stressed and panic or to calm yourself in some particular way. So for me, it was um, realising that we are, we are souls in a human body. And that is sort of the ambiguity that we've got. We're either in the body 
fearful of losing the body and all of and like trying to escape in some way mentally or whatever actions or getting panicky, afraid, fearful, or we can focus on our spiritual self, our, that we're more than the body, our soul self, and realize that we're a soul. And what I found that was happening to me during that process, that I was more focused, gradually more focused on who I really am, which is a soul. And I could get pulled out of that though, like because one at one period, um, I really was very ill. I had lost a lot of fluids. I was, I was. It was the antibiotics that didn't suit me. I mm. knew that straight from the beginning. I haven't had them, hadn't had them for many, many years, twenty years, I think, except for operations. But this time they were pumping them into me all the time. They had a drip on for weeks uh, with antibiotics in them, and my body just couldn't take it anymore. And I was vomiting. I couldn't hold down water, fluid. I was just exhausted all the time. So I really did feel that I was going to go then. I rang a friend, a medical friend, and asked her to inter intervene with the doctors and sort of to try and get through to them. As it turned out, that didn't need to happen because the next day the doctor, my surgeon came and he started to listen to me and he realised that he, he was going to do another operation in a few days and he realised I couldn't take it. Then they discovered my hemoglobin was about half what it should be and that my I was extremely dehydrated. So they used blood transfusions and fluid trans infusions to get me back on track. So that was a hard point because, you know, I really thought I was going to go and I wasn't very comfortable either. I was in pain and everything. So uh, it got resolved and maybe that, that was just one of those times when I had to take some sort of action to get out of it because the doctor, he's told me to go walking around and doing things. <laughs> and I said, I can't do it. I just cried. Anyway, it worked out. But those challenges did come up and I found that this uh, perspective that we can have, this state of mind that we can have about being a a soul more than anything else can the, the physical body can pull us out of that back to being thinking about our physicality but that's sort of changing in me as time goes on i've noticed we can talk about having a soul and the soul perhaps being not affected by fear but as humans we have a human body and the soul may be part of that but it's all fused together in, into the one being so how do you deal with your fear that you might have as a human, when you also know that you are a soul? I think it's all to do with focus and the state of mind that you're in. And so it's becoming, um, it's realising that you're loved, I think. It's a real big part of it is love. I, well, I think that's the whole core, really, of everything, is love. Well, that's what I'm learning as I go along. Uh, we have challenges and the challenges themselves can bring us to that place of love because it's about appreciation too, appreciation of everything. So when I was in the hospital, I was appreciating the doctors, appreciating the nurses, everything that that I 
experienced, I did my best to appreciate, even appreciating the challenges at some level. Now, no, you're not doing that all the time, but that's the that's that journey of realizing who you really are, a loving being, a loving being who's who's got a physical body and physical body because it's challenged, because it does die, that creates that creates the challenges. So that was the ambiguity, realizing that we're both, we're physical and we're a soul, and then perhaps moving the focus or the attention on the, the soul that we are, the loving soul that we are. So that sense of appreciation that you had for the medical staff at the hospital and all of the love you received from your friends and family, are they the things that uplifted you and helped you through this time? Yes, that's true. Did I mention the friends and family? Yes. Oh, good. Yes. So that was what uplifted me, the the friends, the family, that love, just love so much. And, you know, the, the nurses and the, the nurses there, there's male and female nurses there, I'm just thinking of them. And, uh, you know, they don't have an easy job, but wow, they were, they were amazing too. So yeah, it, there's a lot of positivity, <laughs> even Excellent. though this sounds, it doesn't sound great. There is a lot of positivity in it. So during the operations, did you have any sense of your guides being present? Sort of had a sense a lot of the time that they were there because it's sort of a knowing. It's knowing that they're there. Uh, certainly when I went into the first operation, when they're taking me in, I had a sense of them being there. I asked them to be there and I was chatting away to one of the doctors at the time, or the anaesthetist, I think, and we were, we were actually talking about um, past lives because he was interested in them. And um, yeah, I, I could do both. I could feel that connection at the same time as we were chatting. Excellent. And apart from the sense of love and the sense of appreciation, are there any other realisations that you've gained from this experience? Well, yes, there is. Um, one of the things that I'm becoming clearer on is that suffering itself is a state of mind. Like, so knowing you are loved is also a state of mind. And one of the things I realized with knowing you are, you are loved is that this experience has brought me to more of that knowing. And there's a couple of things that all of that love, that attention, that appreciation... And then the other thing that I did was because you can see that I've had a difficult childhood and history, and um, there's been quite a lot of trauma in my history, and there's friends that have been estranged and relatives that have been estranged, which I was talking about how that, that was healed. From my side, I had done what I needed to do, but some of them were still distant from me and pulled away and didn't have any contact with them. And what I did also when I was recovering was read a whole lot of cards, old cards, uh, you know, greeting cards from people. And a lot of them expressed love, people I've been estranged from. Really quite amazing how that changed me because I realized that even though they might hate me now, <laughs> like they may hate me, they may feel hate towards me. I know that at a deep level, they love me. And actually, I had that experience today, did a regression today with a la lovely lady, another wonderful person. 
and she um she's got a mother who never really expressed love to her never hugged her had been traumatized as a child um was in a war zone when she was a child right and so she was was missed that and was a little bit bitter about that and when she went to the other side her mother was there and her mother was full of love and so that was her soul self being there and the mother hugged her and healed her really so that when she came back she's in a the mother will be in her human self where the focus is at the moment because she's got so much trauma she's carrying but the daughter now can see past that and so these cards that i was looking at helped me to see past all of that negativity that was coming to had that i felt was coming towards me and it just all dissipated because i know at a deep level we are loved all of us we are loved even from those who can't show it or express it so that's made a big difference that's great so karen if you think about your own personal history of trauma how did that affect your ability to get through those difficult months where you're in hospital going through operations waiting for operations or in recovery well i guess all of that um and that, a lot of that came from past lives as well uh, and I've, that has, have been healed. I think all of that history has made me quite a strong soul. I think that's what it was designed to do. And, yeah, um, I guess I was drawing on that. That's from the physical side, that that courage or inner strength that I had while at the same time feeling vulnerable, like allowing myself to feel vulnerable because... You can't connect with your soul self without surrendering and feeling vulnerable. That's one of the things that I I learned from the experience. Yeah. So. And I, how has that experience, Karen, helped you in your work with your clients when you're conducting regressions for them? Well, you know what? I've realized this is another realization. There's probably a few more realizations, but that's another realization that I've got that I've realized it probably isn't so much the modality that we use to try and heal or help people. You know, like people come because as physical human beings, we think about the process hmm. and um, we have our favorite processes, perhaps. We read about them. And life between lives regression and past life regression uh, are uh, two of them as those modalities. But I started to realize, and I've I think I've had this in my mind for quite a long time, that the way of really, really helping people is to clear up your own stuff and to be in this place where you feel loved. Because when you feel loved, you can't help but give love. And and it's like people criticize you or, or may criticize you or say harsh things to you or ignore you. and It can't touch you. It just can't touch you. And when you're in that space, that state of mind or whatever you want to call it, and you're helping people, it it has an effect. And I've also noticed that I attract people to me who've, been, who've struggled and had some of the challenges that I've had in my life. And there's some sort of resonance that happens in that case too. You know, so... Up until this particular experience, I don't think I would have resonated 
that well with people who had a long uh, lingering illness or I think I was a little bit afraid of that, afraid of vulnerability. And so that has changed too. That has really changed where I don't have that anymore. I don't feel sorry for people. People don't want you to feel sorry for them. I just see them as being on their path because that's what's happened to me. So there's no judgment. When you, when you really feel loved, there's no judgment anymore. You don't need to, why would you need to judge anybody or even yourself when you're full of love? It's, it just can't happen. So somehow it's managed to change that. And it, it I would say that before I've, I've felt loved sometimes, I believed I was loved, but somehow that is even different to knowing that you're loved. So I really do now know that I am loved and that that is who I really am. So I think that's helped. That's what's helped. That's wonderful. There's a wonderful series of realizations that you have from that whole experience about knowing that you're loved, about being able to be more vulnerable, and also knowing that you've cleaned up everything that you need to clean up to be fully effective for the people that you're serving through your regression work. Well, that's true. And I'll tell you what, it is amazing. It's just amazing to be with people and see them get these realizations that I just have recently got. It's, uh, gosh, I can't tell you how much of a privilege it is to work with people and help them do that. It just fills me up. So it's wonderful that you've got a chance to share the richness of your experience with all of those people who, who come to, to you for a regression. Karen, is there anything else that we haven't had a chance to talk about that's on your mind that you'd like to share with your listeners now? Um, I think that um, I've realised, yes, that suffering is a choice at some level of our being. And I think we talked about that, that when we're in our soul self, we don't really need to suffer. That's one. Um, that love is the core of everything. That, you know, we, we, we can change. A lot of us can change and develop and be the frequency that we we want to be and have an easy life. That wasn't, this hasn't been an easy life for me, but it feels easy now. Um, yeah, there was something else that was coming to me. I think that I wanted to share this experience with people because I thought it might help them. And quite a few people had asked me, like some of my clients and mm. those who were beautiful people who did podcasts with me. I, I did want to answer that for them and share a bit of myself and my life so they know who I am. Yeah, it's uh, and it's just a privilege to do this work. I also just wanted to say at the end that for those of you who have spent time with me, if you would like to do a podcast, please, please let me know. And I will, I am contacting people, asking them to do podcasts because so many people are telling me how much they love the podcast. And um, yes, and if there's somebody out there who has had past life experience and would like to share that on a podcast, they are very welcome to contact me through my website as well, uh, which is Life Between Lives Regression. That's the name of the website. Oh, it's .com.au, lifebetweenlivesregression.com.au. So that's, I think that's all. And just that I really am grateful to all those listeners who listen when 
because I've I have had a break from it. I've had to have a break, and I am going to begin it again very soon. There are so many great stories that you've shared already with your podcast, and there's so many great stories, Karen, that are still to come as you speak with other people who've had those experiences. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And Karen, thank you for being so open about your experiences, about your life, and about the work that you do to help people revisit their past lives and their life between lives. Thanks for listening. Signing off now. Goodbye. Thank you, Ian. Thank you for tuning in today. Please feel free to access my website, lifebetweenlivesregression.com.au for much more information about past lives and life between lives. You also might want to tune in to my Twitter and my Instagram account and my Facebook page, Karen Joy Author. On my website, you will find case studies explored in depth in my blogs and in my books and locate other useful information and resources. Thank you for listening.